What is up guys? This is All The Smoke on Strength and Physique with your hosts, Adam and Chris, where we provide you with evidence-based information, community support, and recognition to all who are betting themselves with fitness. All right, welcome back to All The Smoke on Strength and Physique. We got the one and only Cody McBroom. It's been a while, right? We had this uh, discuss, discussion ho- lo- loaded up there for a little bit, but my man's a busy man. He's got everything and anyone trying to holler at him. So we're 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 luckily and blessed to have you on, boss man. Um, and for for whatever reason, if those individuals that are listening to us have no idea who you are, could you go ahead and introduce yourself, my man? Oh, thank you, dude. Uh, what an intro. Uh, I got to live up to it now, man. Shit. Uh, so uh, my name is Cody McBroom. I uh, run a company called Tailored Coaching Method. It is a online nutrition coaching company. We do offer fitness as well. Nutrition coaching is our main thing, um, but we are a coaching company, online coaching company. We also have an app called the Tailored Trainer. You can download the app store that gives you daily workouts, programming, um, and it's it, it's really there to kind of create a tailored experience for all the uh, overly simplistic, generalized fitness apps out there that just give you a wad that everybody's supposed to follow. So, um, rather than doing that, there's actually periodized programs in there. Um, and there's a whole lot of them, so you can actually make it fit your lifestyle. But, um, I run those two things. I am the CEO and founder. So a lot of what I do today is, um, systems coaching, like directing the coaches. Obviously I still coach some clients, uh, and then just mentoring, right. Mentoring, creating the systems, marketing, and kind of running the whole shebang. Um, I'm out here in South Seattle where we have a facility here. Um, it's a, a private training facility. So luckily I do have a gym here that we shoot content, um, kind of where the homies get to train, so to speak, but it's uh, it's not a public gym, just kind of like our, our headquarters, but, um, yeah, man, that's what I do. I, I create a lot of content and, and I coach people. So with that being said, is starting your own business something that you've always intended to do or what did you do before coaching or what's gotten you to this point? Yeah, I think it always was. And before I knew it was what I wanted to do, I think I just kind of like, I I didn't think about business, but I knew I wanted to do something like this. I've always been a pretty independent person. Like I played soccer growing up, but my main sports were, you know, skateboarding, snowboarding, stuff like that. Very independent stuff. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I just always had like, man, I was the kid that was like picking stuff out of the garage and selling it on Craigslist as a way to hustle and make money when I was young. And, uh, so I've always kind of been that way. And after high school, I I fell in love with fitness and it just kind of went down this rabbit hole. And, and I actually had told my first mentor who I was interning for that my long-term plan was to start an, an online fitness website. Um, I was watching some people in the space have blogs and talk on bodybuilding.com forums and stuff like that. There was no social media back then. Um, and that was my plan. And, and his response was kind of like, well, how do you, like, what do you sell? What do you make money with? And I was like, I don't know, <laughs> but I'll figure that out later. That's the plan. And, uh, and yeah, so I started training people in, in a way to be able to do that. And eventually, obviously I was able to start, um, I turned my blog into a coaching company that was just me. And then as that started to expand, I started hiring other people. I, uh, I changed the name of the company and, and we just kind of kept growing, but it's always been kind of a thing for me is, uh, to kind of do my own thing, blaze my own path and, and kind of live by my own rules in a way as, as, as cheesy as that sounds, but yeah, it's always been a thing. Yeah. And that sounds it's too many people disregard like how long it actually takes and the steps required to actually do what you did. What, what about the education side of things? How did you learn to do the things you did and how, 
what what major changes have you realized like wow shit okay maybe i shouldn't uh give them 300 grams of fat i i should do carbs or i whatever crazy scenario you have yeah um man my education path has been kind of it's been wild over the years so i uh i was a an absolute horrid student in high school um I just, I just, to be honest, I just did not care about school at all. I, I was at school to hang out with friends and, and party after school. Like I just, I didn't care. And I had, I didn't have any drive after high school. I had gone through a couple injuries in soccer, had surgery uh, on my knee. So I've had two or three different surgeries. I've torn my meniscus twice, ACL once, all the same knee. And, uh, and that's actually what sparked it all. So after high school, I finally stepped foot in a weight room to try, try to rehab my knee so I could start losing some weight. Cause I was, I was overweight at that point. And uh, somebody waltzed into the, I was at a community college studying business and, and somebody waltzed into the gym at the college and saw me doing leg extensions with this huge knee brace on and was basically like, Hey, like, I think I can show you some more functional things to help you rehab that knee. And I kind of just brushed it off. Cause he was just, he was just an old dude that didn't look in shape. And I was 18 ignorant. I was like, all right, bro, whatever. And, uh, and he was like, all right, well, if you ever get interested, I run the, the PT program at the school. We're top three in the nation. Come stop by if you want to learn. And it kind of like piqued my interest, but I was like, Okay, man, whatever. Weeks went by and I was sitting in class and I asked the, the teacher how many businesses he owned because I was in business 101. And, uh, and he said none, which shocked me. Makes sense because, you know, they finish business school and then they go teach business school. But I don't know, it just it didn't sit well with me, uh, even if that's the way it's supposed to be or not. So I got up and left. I was like, screw this class. And I left and I was walking by the, uh, it was called functional training or it was functional movement. I can't remember, but it was that guy's class. And this guy's name is Tim Vegan. And uh, I popped into the class. I was like, screw it. I'll, I'll check it out since I'm leaving anyway. And uh, I was just fascinated, man. He had, a, he had a picture of a baby. I'll never forget his first day I saw it. He had a picture of a baby on the screen on the projector crawling. And he had all these arrows everywhere about like joint positioning and posture and, and the quadruped movement pattern. And I was kind of just like shocked because I had never seen anything like that. And, uh, and so I ended up coming back to his class again and again, I was just kind of in the back, just watching and he knew I was there. He didn't say anything. And then finally he, he asked me like what I wanted to do. And I, I made the decision that I was going to switch my, my career path. Um, I was still overweight, still didn't know much about training. I had kind of tried a few fad diets, lost weight, gain weight, lost weight, gain weight at that point. Um, but I went home, told my parents like, Hey, this is what I'm gonna do. I'll change my degrees. Uh, I'm going to be a trainer. Um, they said, no, you won't make any money. And you've been working out for three weeks. <laughs> so nice try. Uh, naturally being who I am, I went to school, forged my dad's signature, changed my degree. And I started my, you know, my career path towards that months later, he found out, but at that point I was down 40 to 50 pounds. He saw that I was into it and he's like, all right, man, like you, you do your thing. Um, but that kind of started it for me. And it was actually just, it was a, as a personal training development program at a community college. And uh, it was, it's been recognized by like Livestrong and some pretty big names and stuff. Cause it's one, one of the only type like this nation, but it's cool because they had uh, anatomy, biology, uh, obviously math and stuff like that, but it was business math and they had finances and then they had uh, legalities of personal training program design, 101, 102, nutrition, 101, 102, very applicable stuff, right? Because that was the thing that was so cool to me. Every single class applied to the career I was going to go to. Um, and so I went through that and, and then I interned with him at his gym, which was at a hospital. And I watched him rehab people. Um, and he was really good friends with Charlie Weingroff, uh, Dan, John, Greg cook, Michael Boyle, just some of the classic old school strength coaches that really kind of foundation and, and were pioneers in the strength world. And, uh, I was able to be around those guys, see them speak, 
uh, be in conversations with them um, and just kind of be a fly on the wall around some like really big names that knew a lot more than me. And, uh, and I just got introduced to some cool people. So that sent me down a path of reading everything I can get my hands on interning with him, which sent me to a facility called vigor ground, which is in Seattle. Um, and I interned under, under a guy named Luca Hosovar. Um, and that's the person I said, Hey, I want to, you know, do this and make an online business. And he said, uh, you know, intern here, if you make it, we'll hire you and you can train people for five years, then you'll have the right to coach people online or to build an online business. And, uh, you know, 18 years old, you're, most people are like, fuck that five years. Are you serious? But I did it. I was there six days a week training people morning to night, man. I just lived in the gym. I went to school and I went there and I just trained people. I graduated and then I just kept going there, getting certificate after certificate, going to seminar after seminar, book after book, coaching people for six years. Uh, and then I left there in 2017 after six, six and a half years, started the company, kept going on with my career. Um, and studying. And then I started hiring people who were smarter than me and who had uh, bigger degrees than me and who had masters in sports nutrition. Uh, my chief science officer who has a PhD and is a researcher and uh, people who have exercise science degrees and CSCS and CISSN and things that some of which I can't even take the test if I want to, even though I could pass because I don't have the credentials from college. Um, and now I can say I have a team full of people that are just as, if not smarter than me, you know, but um, I have a lot of experience in coaching and, and I would say like it's a very long-winded answer. So I apologize for this, but my, uh, my educational path has just been wild, man. It's just been meeting different people, traveling everywhere to go to seminars, reading every book I can get my hands on, um, and connecting with people that are smarter than me, being in rooms of people that are smarter than me. Um, and it's allowed me to do a lot of cool things and have a podcast. And now I'm on a text basis with some people, like I mentioned before this, you know, Bill Campbell and, and Chris Barricat and people that I've got to hang out with and talk to and, and connect with that are, so unbelievably intelligent, you know, and that I get to kind of pick their brain all the time because we're friends now. So it's cool. But um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a long journey of a lot. So I think what you said about people think it's a quick, it's a quick thing to build. It's, it's not, man, I've been doing this for 11 years now and it's, and it's been a grind every day of the way, but I love it. What I think is most important. And I would say it's more of like an overlaying concept of what you just stated is listen, you don't need a college education. However, if you're going to get a college education, that's great. You'll have that. College is sort of that funnel that's going to feed you the information and it's going to be one funnel. It's not going to be the other funnels that are the other possibilities, which you obviously know research will provide. And if you don't get that, that's great. You're going to have to do what you did though, which is surround yourself. The fact that you got up in the middle of class and left, that's, that's wonderful because that's one thing that'll drive me crazy. And even people in the exercise science, like professors, like there's professors that have never lifted in their teaching exercise science related classes. And they're like, oh, just go to, go to failure for seven sets one day a week. And it's like, okay, but like, that's going to suck. So how can I do this differently? And the fact that you surrounded yourself by those people and now you surround yourself by people that you say are very, a lot smarter than you, which I, they and myself may disagree with because they're looking at you and they're saying, this guy is extremely smart. Like he started this business from nothing. So I think it just goes back to, if you really put in the work, you can, you can get what you want out of the situation. Let's go ahead and transition though, sort of into more of the nutrition side of things. When you, what recommendations 
do you make for an individual that's looking to diet, whether it's cutting, maintenance, bulking? Uh, what are some important things if someone comes to you and they're just like, hey, I want to lose weight. I'm 200 pounds and I need to lose 50 pounds. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is going to kind of tie to a lot of what you just said, I think, because what, what is, in my opinion, what evidence-based means is taking experience and science and putting them together. So people who just look at literature and just look at science, they're missing half the equation. Um, I was going to go to college, uh, university, and I was going to, like, I finished my two years and then just transfer. And I actually got a recommendation to not because of what I wanted to create, which is what I have today. And I'm glad I didn't because it gave me a two to three year head start on it. Um, but it also was at a time, just for listeners listening, it was also at a time where, uh, being quote unquote evidence-based wasn't really talked about looking at scientific literature to work with an everyday person wasn't really done. Um, I'm glad it has now. It's actually why our company has been successful is because I've always valued that and prioritized that. Um, but experience was much more valuable back then, especially because they didn't have a lot of studies, you know, 10 years ago. So, um, but uh, no, I agree hundred percent. I think with this question of, of, you know, what am I, what am I looking at? it's this exact same concept of what does the science tell me to look at and what does my experience show me that I should look at, right? And, and a good example of that is um, if we look at a lot of research in the diet world, and this is where I think there's a problem with both sides of the equation. Um, there's a lot of people who are afraid of putting people in a deficit. They're afraid because they're like, I don't like, there's like these arbitrary numbers that I always hear, like men can't go below 1600 calories and women cannot go below 1200 calories. And if you've ever talked to any physique competitor, if you've ever competed yourself, you've gone below those numbers as a male or female. It's just, it happens. You need to, to get shredded. Like it's just part of it. So the reason I say that is because there's a part of this, like more experience driven community that doesn't look at a lot of the research. And they're like, why isn't my client losing any weight? I dropped their calories by 150 and they're eating 1850 calories a day. I don't get it. And I'm like, you're still in this like maintenance range, I would call it, where you're just not even breaking the threshold to actually create a stimulus to lose. If you look at research, they're putting people on a 25, 30, 35% deficit sometimes. People use the Matador study and they're like, oh, I'm doing these diet breaks. I don't understand why they're not losing. I'm like, you put them in a 10% deficit. The Matador put them in a 35% deficit. Now, if we look at a practical application of this, I go, that might work, but how many people can sustain a 35% deficit or a 32 week long diet like the Matador? Because when you add all those diet breaks, it goes way longer. So the reason I'm saying this is because I always look at the research and I look at my experience of like, this is what research shows work. This is what I know people can handle. And then trying to find that middle ground. And before I dive into what method that would be with this individual, it's really, it's, I mean, for us, it's a very in-depth questionnaire assessment, interview on the phone. We go through a lot to make sure we understand where the person's at. But the reason is, is if I don't know what your, your past dieting is like, if I don't know what your uh, stress levels are like, if I don't know what your training is like, if I don't know what your current food habits are like, what your current intake is, um, it's going to be hard for me to put any type of diet that's going to be uh, actually work together. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, all those things influence your body's ability to respond the way I want it to respond. Um, or for you to adhere the way I want you to hear, you know, we actually did a, uh, myself and Brandon Roberts did a research review on, um, stress and fat loss and cortisol and fat loss. Like does cortisol stop you from losing fat? Cause a lot of people say, you know, you're too stressed out cortisol stopping you from losing fat, which is, is somewhat of a myth. Um, yes, stress can stop you, but I think the majority of the reason stress is stopping you is because you just don't stick to your diet because you're stressed out and you overeat, right? You can't adhere, but that, that goes into this too, is like, okay, people in the experience-based world, 
think stress equals your body stops you from losing fat. Like it's literally physiologically stopping. It's like, no, no, no. Stress is bad because your adherence sucks when you're stressed out. So let's say like, let's, we all kind of come to the same conclusion, right? Like it's the same thing with diet breaks. Oh, diet breaks are actually just psychological. Okay. But they still worked. So we should still use them. Like people were like, oh shit, diet breaks don't work. We don't use them anymore. It's just all psychological. No, no, no. It's, it's, <laughs> they still work. It's just working for a different mechanism than we, we actually realized. Um, which I, I mean, you could still debate a little bit, just depending on what we get into, I guess, because you can't control every single little variable uh, about a study. And I've interviewed almost all the diet break researchers on my podcast to kind of like weed through these things about those topics. But um, it's hard for me to say, like, uh, to answer your question specifically, it's kind of hard for me to say exactly what I would do because I want to ask 37 questions before I map out a diet, you know? And, and I think for general terms, assuming somebody comes to me and they haven't already been dieting a bunch off and on, they, they aren't overly stressed, their training is locked in um, and their foundational health is good. You know, if somebody comes to us and they want to lose fat, but they're inconsistent, they're not tracking their food, they eat like shit, they don't have good sleep. We're not putting them in a deficit. We're keeping them at maintenance. We're dialing their macros into a good place. And we're working on consistency and habits to create like a standard or a foundation of health before we even jump into a deficit. Now, when we have somebody who's more advanced come to us and they're like, and we get these people too, oh, I have a spreadsheet for the last year of all my macros and meals and they're just dialed in, you know? And we all know those people, that's different. I can put you in a deficit. It's probably gonna be at least 10%, if not upwards of 20 to 25% of a deficit. Um, I'm gonna use diet breaks or refeeds at least two days together refeeds. Uh, I don't use single day refeeds very often at all. I just don't see much of the point anymore unless there's like a social event. Um, and I'm going to use those sparingly knowing that they're mainly psychological, maybe a little bit of performance enhancement there, depending on the type of training they're doing. And, uh, and I'm going to use those sparingly and I'm going to kind of periodize those in based on what I think. So as far as like how often I think they'll need them and I'm going to be reactive with it. I'm watching your sleep, your stress, your mood, your biofeedback, your weight, and then I'll throw those in like I'll give you a, like a three-day warning and I'll throw those in when I feel like they're necessary. Um, because I, th I think a lot of people program them in too far in advance and they feel it's kind of like percentage-based training. It's on the paper. So you got to do it and you might want to keep the pedal down and keep moving, you know, and keep, keep losing fat first. So um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of ways I could take this question as you could tell. Uh, but I think in general, the, the main concept is I want to ask a bunch of questions and then I want to kind of go through all my different tools and methods that I might use um, and make sure they're ready for those first. And then we're going to lay it all out in, in a plan and give them the blueprint because there's nothing I hate more than a coach who gives somebody macros and calories and just says, here's your calories, here's your macros. Get it. Like, let me know if you have questions, you know, thumbs up. Um, I want to, I want to show you the periodization plan. I want to show you what to expect. I want to teach you like, why are we even hitting these numbers at first? What is the, what is the goal here? Let me show you the roadmap. So you're not walking down a dark path. And I think how you reference that I don't, I don't adam can you remember anyone that has not given us an answer to that question before i mean nobody's actually ever gone into that depth or hit it with that many different angles before and i really enjoy what you said about refeeds and diet breaks yes and you know when payoffs uh study came out a lot of people were like fuck diet breaks like what am i doing they're just psychological i was like but isn't dieting like a skill it's half the half the part is literally mental Mm -hmm. Right. And the more and more you actually have built in here, and I love what you say. And this is often what I almost fight some of the clients that kind of inquiry with me at Pro Physique is right. They just want to jump right in. I was like, yo, like, what's your protein at? Oh, oh I don't know. Well, have you even tried? I don't know. But throw me in a deficit. I'm like, bro, you don't even have these basic principles down that we need to have set 
before I can throw you in a, a deficit. And as you said, a deficit in dieting in itself is stressful. If I just keep throwing all of these variables at you, I'm just going to add on to that stress. And as you know, adherence is going to go out the window. Um, and I think, again, more importantly, we have to build an autonomous individual that is, again, educated in a sense of when we give them this roadmap, they're like, ah, I get this. I understand this. And again, eventually they don't need me, but they want to work with me because they know, hey, I'm not going to give you no bullshit. I'm going to educate you throughout this whole process. And that's what, again, from everything you just said there, that's like, fucking finally. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and it's super important because not a lot of coaches do this. Not a lot of questions, like questions get brought up. Like you said, there's 27, but who knows if there's 27, there, there could be more. Yeah. And just coaches or clients don't realize that if you want to go into a diet, you just don't start going into a diet. Like you have to be ready to go into a diet phase. You have to go into uh, a bulking phase. You have to be ready for those things in order to be successful in it. Like, I wish I had a great analysis. Like you don't start a business when you don't know anything about business. Like it's yeah. just not how it works. Well, it's, it's, it's like the whole saying, you know, what gets measured gets managed. And there's a million analogies I can throw. I mean, for instance, a house, you have, you ever like, none of us have probably built houses, but um, does anybody ever built a house without a solid foundation? No, because it fucking crumbles. It'll last like a, like a month, maybe tops, you know, you don't, you build the foundation first. That is our foundation or um, with, with, you know, people come to us and they just want to jump into something. I'm like, Hey, I need to see consistency. I need you to track. I need you to do all these things first. I need like this many days of you tracking before we even start. And they're like, I'm paying you. I want this diet. And I'm like, yeah, but that's like you going to a financial advisor and saying, I want to save for this trip. I'm gonna take my family to Europe. I want to save this trip. And it's like, all right, cool. We'll create a budget plan. I don't want to do budget plan. He's like, all right, we'll just create a separate account and like money will save. No, nah, I don't want a separate account. Okay. Well, we can stop paying for X, Y, Z so we can save this. But no, nah, I don't want to do that either. It's like, well, what the fuck, man? We need numbers, you know, <laughs> good luck going on a trip. It's the same thing. This is why I get so angry with the intuitive eating movement. You know, I post stuff about this and people like, some people are like, yeah, like that's what I'm talking about. And then some people get so worked up and they're like, you don't even know what intuitive eating's about. And I'm like, did you read the caption? Like I said, it's not about fat loss. If you have used macros to get to a result, reverse dieted out of that. And now you understand enough about nutrition to sustain that result without using my fitness pal. Fucking great. Intuitively eat because you just want to maintain. But if somebody wants to change their body, which most people do when they hire us or anyone else, they need something that's going to guarantee that result, right? You start intuitive eating. You can maybe fix your habits to help you. But once you plateau, what do you do? Eat more intuitively? You can't right? You, you pull something out. They say, all right, I want you to take oatmeal out of your breakfast. That's what they do to take carbs away, which takes calories away, which gives you a bigger deficit, right? But these people see it as, especially Gen Pop, oh, oatmeal is stopping me from losing fat. That's what it is, carbs, right? And then it creates this dogmatic approach. So um, no, I think at the end of the day, like this is where we tried it really hard, even with the just, we work with a lot of everyday people. And sometimes people think that there's this gap between people who can use science and numbers and periodization. And then the everyday person just needs to form habits. And, and we disagree. We want everybody to use science and we want to teach them how to do it properly. Cause at the end of the day, that's really what's going to lead to positive results, you know, and, and, and it requires, like you guys said, it requires me to ask that many questions. It requires me to go more in depth. Um, I mean, shit, it's the same reason why we don't do any paid in full things. Right. And, and there's nothing against people who do any paid in fulls, but we get that question all the time. Like, Oh, can I just pay for this up front? And I'm like, no, 
They're like, well, why wouldn't you want all the money up front? It guarantees you can get paid. I'm like, yeah, it does. But there's research to show accountability works better when it's consistent. So when you see a charge out of your account every month, guess what? You're going to be more accountable. You're going to be more bought in and you're going to get better results. And so is the coach because they only get paid if you stay. So now both of you guys work harder towards your goals because I didn't want to get the payday up front. Right. And that's a weird approach to take, but it's accountability, you know, stuff like that. This is where you look at real human beings and experience, and then you take the science to back it up. Hey man, that, that's, that's a huge, I never even thought of the, the payment philosophy that way, but that's, that's huge in the sense that, Hey man, I don't want to be paid up before because you, you have those coaches that, Hey, I, I take your money and I run. But one thing that I really want to kind of get into is right. You kind of specifically said, right. You try to set up some clients that base, what are those checkpoints that you set for yourself and your clients to say, Hey, okay, Hey, you've shown me consistency. You showed me all of these things. Now let's go ahead and take level up. What are those checkpoints for you specifically? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we, we call this a priming phase. Um, I don't, and I think there's, you know, there's, there's coaches out there. They're very intelligent. They do the same exact thing. Um, I put a name behind stuff just because people like a method or a system and it makes them, you know, it makes clients excited. So um, our, our three phase method is basically you prime, you progress and then you prosper, right? If we want to throw a fourth in, you could do the post diet. So like reverse diet, but you know, prosper is maintenance. That's autonomy. That's being able to do it on your own. Progression is whatever the goal is. So maybe fat loss priming is what we do in order to get you ready for the diet. So it's the diet before the diet. And this is kind of what you're referring to. Um, and a lot of it is, you know, some, for some people, this is a week or two, you know, cause they, they're pretty well off. They, they know what they're doing. Right. Um, for some people, this is two months. For some people, it ends up being months and months because we put them in a priming phase. And because we've got them more consistent with their habits and their accuracy with tracking, they actually start losing weight. And it's like, why would we create a bigger deficit if this is working for you? You know, we're technically probably in a deficit because you're losing weight, obviously, but you don't feel like you are because all we did is clean up your diet and get you more consistent. Um, so what this is though, what, the, what I'm looking for is kind of like a, I would call it almost like a flexible dieting checklist, right? So before you get into... Um, being flexible and adding in Ben and Jerry's or donuts or whatever the hell you want. Like there's a, a prerequisite list of foods and vitamins and minerals and water and fiber, things like that to make sure like, look, you got your bases covered with health. Now you can go IIFYM it up and do whatever you want. Um, and it's kind of the same thing. Just, we just tack on uh, biofeedback and consistency. So for most people, this is like, okay, first and foremost, you're tracking your food every day. Like we're accurately tracking your food. Um, if we have macros set at this point, this does not mean, because oftentimes we'll put people into specific macros based on their maintenance and we'll keep them in this priming phase at maintenance for a little bit while dialing in these habits I'm going to go over simply for the fact that it's easier to um, dial in new habits or get back consistency with habits that you haven't used in a while if you're not in a diet right? We all know like the diet brain, diet fatigue. If you're, if we put you in a deficit and we expect you to lock in eight new habits, it's going to be tough. If you're at maintenance, it's a lot easier. So we'll start there. Um, first and foremost is accuracy with tracking. If your carbs are set at 250 for an arbitrary number and you're at 240 to 260, you're fine. You know, five to 10 grams within the number. We're happy. We're in a priming phase. We're maintaining. We're not like getting very, very specific with it. Fats, I would say within five grams, protein within 10 as well. So we're just getting really close. The thing I'm looking for most is, do you know how to measure your food? Do you know how to weigh your food? Do you know how to use the app? Do you know how to punch it into the, the tracking sheet I give you? Are you punching in your numbers properly and you're doing it every day, right? Are you weighing in every single day? Because we want a weekly average, which that's a, a learning curve for some people as well, because some people are like, holy shit, you weigh in every day. Um, a lot of people that are into bodybuilding understand that this is way more accurate, but for everyday people, it's hard for them to understand. However, we've found that people overcome their battles with the scale better because 
uh, great book, uh, but it's the obstacle is the way, right? You are avoiding the scale because you have an issue with it. And I'm like, no, stand on that motherfucker every single day because that's the only way to overcome it, right? And it gives you a more accurate, obviously, because weight fluctuates. Let's get an average, take that. Um, and then we're going to track your sleep. We're going to track your steps. And then we're going to touch on a few biofeedback points, depending on the individual. Usually that's going to be um, stress, like soreness, uh, or like stress fatigue, let's say, um, mood and motivation, right? So um, we might pick three, we might pick five, we might throw digestion in there. It kind of just depends on the person. Um, but the main ones I'm looking for is, is macros, weight, steps, sleep. So I can get a good idea of recovery, consistency, and activity. And then also I want to look at soreness and motivation. I want to make sure you're not going too hard. And I also want to make sure you're motivated to do what we're doing. Cause one of the, uh, key indicators for, um, needing a diet break, needing a uh, reverse diet, needing a deload from training. Uh, there's a lot of a neurological component here, but motivation just starts to tank, right? If I see a client's dieting and their motivation goes from a five out of five to a three to a two, I'm like, all right, we're taking a diet break. We're taking a deload. We're doing something before you get to a one and you don't talk to me for four days. And then you go on a binger, you know, like we can prevent this. Um, but I'm really just getting consistent with all those things. And during this priming phase, I want to see sleep, stress, mood, hunger, or motivation, cravings, all those things to be hundred percent spot on in a good, healthy place before we throw you in a diet. Um, and again, that might only take a week or two for some people. It might be two months for some people, either way. It's, it's something we preface at the beginning. Like this is part of your periodized plan. Uh, and we do it because it's the only way to sustain this result. So you mentioned something that I'm sure a lot of people will be like, oh my God, I can't believe you said that. But having someone get on a scale when they're terrified of it, could you speak a little bit more on that with your experience and also uh, information surrounding it? Because I'm indifferent about it. I don't know anything about the research or have experience with how I could help with that. So that's why I'm curious on more input on it. Yeah. So, you know, the only research I'm going to bring up to support this um, doesn't necessarily support, uh, overcoming your fear of the scale, but it's a good proof to say that you should weigh in more often. And that's the, one of the, the main key components, uh, or, or, uh, correlations or common things of people who sustain weight loss after diet. Cause we know, I don't know, like there was the whole, uh, 95% of people gain weight after a diet, which who knows how accurate that is because I've gained weight after a diet. And then I redieted and I did it well. You know what I mean? So who knows how accurate, but the point is a lot of people gain weight afterwards. Uh, the most common thing with the people who actually sustain the weight loss they achieved is they weigh in every day. And it's a form of accountability, right? And it's a form of, I mean, really it's, it's a metric point that you see every single day of like, I'm maintaining my weight, you know, and if it goes up a little bit, you go, Oh, I can pull back a little bit today and balance it out. Um, so that's enough to say like, look, it works for sustainability. Now that doesn't address the fact that some people get into a mental place that's not healthy, right? The problem is, is that there comes a point in time where you will have to weigh yourself. You're going to be at the doctor and you're going to have to weigh yourself. And I've talked to people who are like, I haven't weighed myself in a year. I went to the doctor. I literally got depressed. I binged for a week. I drank. I, I just like, I'm, I'm miserable because I saw that number. It's like, well, what if we were like slowly conquering that fear a long time ago? And then you wouldn't care, right? So part of it is no matter what, you're going to see yourself in a picture. You're going to see yourself in the mirror. You're going to run into somebody you haven't seen in years. You're going to jump on the scale at the doctor. You're going to do something that's going to re, uh, reaffirm the thought that you hate where you're at. And I would rather just get that out of the way and teach you that the scale is just a number to eliminate one of those main components that drives that emotional feeling. And we can get you over that so you can start changing how you look and feel to better improve how you feel about yourself, the goal, your result, all that stuff. Um, and, and part of this is 
number one, showing people that, Hey, like it's just a number and it fluctuates quite a bit. So telling them all the reasons why stress, new training program, DOMS, going on a flight, extra salt, too much carbs, whatever your weight's going to jump up. That's not number one. It doesn't mean that you gained a bunch of fat. Number two, that number doesn't identify you. You know, I, I, I use random analogies, which is just a coaching tip for people. Stories work really well with people. But um, I tell people like, do you ever walk into a store, your church or something, you have a name tag on that says Cody, 173 pounds. Like (laughs) you don't do that, right? Because it's not your identity. And if you did, that'd be fucking weird. So, um, and I use an example of, I have a a lady who um, she's not anymore. Um, I work with a bunch of people in WWE. She was in WWE and she had to come to me. She was severely under eating, needed to put on muscle. She gained like six pounds and got way leaner. And it was over a good period of time. We've all had those clients that have done that when you make dramatic changes for the better. And she was an example. I had to do this with all the time. And I told her like, next time somebody says, Hey, you look great because it's happening all the time. People are telling you, you look awesome. I want you to say, yeah, thanks. I gained five pounds and see what they say, because it's going to shock them. It's going to make you feel better. And it's going to teach them a fucking lesson that the, the scale is not everything. Cause they're immediately going to think, did you lose weight? No, actually I gained five or six pounds. And I think, you know, sharing these things with people. And, and then again, if you look at all the, the metrics I just listed off with mood and motivation, all those things, I said this to somebody the other day, actually, I was like, the, and we were having this conversation. I was like, look at the weight and then count the cells that you fill out for biofeedback. She's like, there's 11. I'm like, so that's one metric out of 11. All these metrics are equal. Not one is better than the other. And if one number is not where you want it to be, but 10 other numbers are exactly where we want it to be. Mind you, those include your measurements and your pictures. We're in a good place. Who knows why your weight jumped up? But this is also why we weigh in every day. So we can eliminate that. So um, I've found over the years, because I went from eliminating the scale completely, trying to have a weigh-in day and trying to control every little thing to avoid fluctuations and cross my fingers and be like, I hope this client doesn't weigh more tomorrow and freak out to saying, fuck it, let's, let's conquer this demon by doing it every single day. And I'm going to show you exactly why it fluctuates. I'm going to show you these correlations. And I'm going to teach you about your weight and about biofeedback and all these different things. And what happens is education overpowers their emotions because we all have that logical side of the, our brain that understands it. And when you educate somebody enough, that logical side just takes over and they start to realize like, you know what, like I'm not that number. And that number doesn't really mean that much. He's right. I'm seeing improvements. I'm doing all this. So, um, I totally get where you're at. And I was there too. I think that people get shocked when we take them this route, but I've, I've literally not, I've, we've worked with thousands of people now. I've never had a single person not do good with this. That is open to learning to weigh in on the scale every day. It just, it always works. And it comes down to that, that whole idea. Again, it's a great book. If anybody's never read it, get it by Ryan Holiday. Obstacle is the way the Patriots read it on the bus on the way, way to win the Super Bowl when they won a uh, couple years ago. Um, and, uh, or three years ago, however long that was not a football fan, but, um, the book is amazing. And it goes through all these historical figures. And it just talks about the only way to conquer what you fear is to do it. It's to walk right through it. It's not to try to work around it because it's always going to come back to haunt you. Hey, man, my dog Cody right here is blowing some fucking serious smoke. And again, the thing right there is again overcoming. And what I love about it is, again, just educating the individual. And once you are educated, again, adherence just goes through the roof. Um, and I've done multiple different phases of, you know, the scale of, like, hey, man, just don't just don't do it. Right. Fuck it. Let's just do a waist measure. Let's do another objective measure that, again, shows you a value, but does maybe fluctuate as well. But eventually it's like, yo, like you understand or one of the things that you said about the number, the name tag, I was like for body fat percentage, everybody loves body fat percentage. And I was the head body comp person for USF uh, with Dr. Bill Campbell. 
And people would freak out by it. I was like, let me show you a trick. And I literally drank one of these in five minutes. I was like, now look at my body fat percentage. Like it's so like unreliable at times. And you can't, you can't, again, a number is not, should have no value. Again, what should you value is becoming educated, developing these habits and more specifically your effort and tenacity through all of this, because as that one statistic that you said, 95% of individuals who lose weight usually gain it back. Why? Because they probably do it very dramatic, right? And when they do it dramatic, they lead to burnout and they just go right back to what you were doing. It's hard to do it easier, right? Because we're taught in this industry, hard is better, more is better. And it's usually not the case. And that's why a lot of us are just in this vicious cycle. Um, but, you know, I want to kind of get into, you know, the auto-regulatory mechanisms or periodization forms that you kind of already touched on, but want to get into it maybe in the training aspect of things. If you, I know you said you're more nutritional aspect, but what yeah. are uh, types of, I guess, variables that you're trying to track over time for training individuals, whether they're dieting or not dieting, you say, Hey, Hey, let's go ahead and push, or Hey, maybe it's time to dial back. And how are you again, educating your clients on that, that way? Totally. Um, and I agree hundred percent with the body fat. I, I typically try to avoid using it altogether because unless somebody has access to a MRI ultrasound, maybe a DEXA, even then I got to make sure it's regulated. Like Chris Barrickhead does a lot of the body recomp stuff. So I've talked to him a lot about this and you can regulate it. Um, if you're going to use it, pay attention to trends. Don't pay attention to the exact number and you got to control all the variables to even get an accurate trend, you know? So I try to avoid those. Um, so I agree with you hundred uh, percent. But, um, you know, as far as training uh, to paint some context too, I started as a trainer. That was my first love. I had no interest in nutrition really. I mean, I had to do the classes in school. Um, it wasn't until I did a bodybuilding show and I hired a bodybuilding coach and I saw how he came and manipulated my nutrition and didn't touch my training. Cause I was doing my training. I saw how much it changed that I was like, Holy shit. Nutrition has a lot to do with this game, you know? So we ended up scaling the company for that, for the reason of it being most people's problem. And for the fact that we can generalize training pretty easily and we cannot generalize nutrition. Nutrition is very individualized in my experience training. I can create an upper lower split that is great for thousands of people, you know, with maybe a couple tweaks. Um, Nutrition, I can't do that. You know, it's just not the same. So, uh, but with that being said, my uh, my training philosophy with auto regulation, all that is, uh, it's changed over the years. You know, before, um, and I was, I know he wasn't the inventor of RPE, but Eric Helms really, his work on uh, auto regulations have really kind of introduced me to um, even the pioneers of it, where it was more of an endurance. Uh, scale of effort. And then, um, you know, he adopted it for, uh, I'm sorry, I think Mike Toucher adopted it for powerlifting. Then he took it for bodybuilding. And then Mike Israel with RIR, all of which I've interviewed on the podcast, all of which I've studied from over the years. And they introduced me that to a lot. And before then I was, I was very heavily into percentage-based training because that was kind of the only way to regulate it. The problem with that is that it's very hard to, you know, if you just follow the paper, injuries risk is much higher, you know, and that's, that's the problem with always doing what's on the paper because, you know, 90% of your one rep max might sound great in theory, but if you had shitty sleep last night, that's not going to be good, you know, um, especially with, and, and I even struggle with this mentally, to be honest with you, but some of the research showing you can have like an RPE of seven, six, and still get just as beneficial results. That shocks me. And it's still like the bro in me is like, no, you, you gotta be at least RPE eight. Um, you need that effort. Uh, and, and I know, like, I can't prove that, but I also think that there's a lot of people who don't actually know how to do an RPE eight. You know, I've even done, I have videos of myself squatting where I literally squat and I look at the camera and goes, that was a 10, that was RPE 10, like one rep max. And then I watch it and I'm like, dude, that was smooth as butter. I just like pop right out. Like, 
damn, I had more in the take, you know? So I think there's a lot of things that go into this. And the reason I'm kind of giving this context first, because I have a lot of people do those things first. I tell people, pick a safe lift, put a weight on it that you can hit 10 reps with. And I want you to go to absolute complete failure until the point where you like drop the bar. If it's like a deadlift, let's go trap bar. If it's a squat, let's get a spotter um, or go leg press or Smith machine, something that where I can like safely get out of it or set pins. Um, if it's a bench press, have a spotter, like do something where you can go to failure. You're not going to hurt yourself, but I want you to see what it actually feels like to literally go to failure. Um, there was a research study. I don't know who did it. Uh, I know Eric Helms was the one that reviewed it in mass research review, but they took a bench press and they did that exact thing. 10 rep max, put it on the bar. You're going to have a spotter. We want you to go to failure. Um, and I'm pretty sure can't quote me on the exact numbers, but I want to say the highest rep count was 26 in the group. The lowest was 12, I think. And the average was 16 or something. But the point is, is the vast, vast majority of everybody in the group got way over 10 reps. And it just shows that we vastly underestimate how much we can do because everybody put their 10 rep max, quote unquote, on the bar. So I usually try to go through those tests with clients first and I tell them, and when people use our app, I'm not coaching them. You know, there's hundreds and hundreds of people using this app and I use RPE and RIR in there. And I tell them to do that in the beginning when they sign up, it's like, Hey, you should test these things in a safe manner. You should do this. You should try this because you need to see what it feels like. And I'll explain in the coaching notes, you know, this is an RPE eight. I want you to literally go until you have two reps in the tank, which means gun to your head. You have two reps in the tank, you know, like you, like literally you got one more really good rep, one more okay rep. And then the next rep would be shitty or not able to complete, you know, your form would break. Um, and, and teaching them that, and, and I use RPE and RIR, um, both on everything. I, I typically do both because some people like RPE, some people like RIR reps in reserve. I think for most people, RIR is probably easier to interpret, to be honest with you. Cause it's, you know, two reps in reserve is easy. I got two left, you know, if, if and especially if you're doing any number of sets, you just always think I got two left, you know, but RPE can be hard if it's not a set of eight, you know, and you're doing an RPE eight, for example. Um, but uh, I use that and everything. And I do a lot of double progression method. So I like a linear approach. I think a linear approach works great for compound lifts or any metric-based lift, I would say. Um, and metric-based lift to me is great to use because, you know, bench squat deadlift, you can't replace them. They're compound lifts. They're great. Um, but for somebody who has physique goals, I think there's value in setting other metric-based lifts that you can perform and see progressive overload in over time. Um, for example, I know for me, the dumbbell bench press is a much better chest builder than a barbell bench press. It feels better on my shoulders. I feel more of my chest. I can progress in it consistently. So that's always in my program. And I'm always trying to progress it in the rep range that I'm sitting in. Um, a lat pull down or a CDK bro can definitely be a metric based lift. You can progressively overload that. Um, a lateral raise, probably not a metric based lift that I'm going to treat like a compound, you know, but it's going to be in there. So um, I have these metric based lifts and I typically do a linear progression with those. So maybe for people listening, we're dropping volume, increasing intensity. So maybe I go from week one, 10 to week two, eight to week three, six to week four, four. And then I come back to 10 on the next block after deload, just for arbitrary numbers. Um, you can do seven, five, three, five, three, one, nine, seven, five. It doesn't matter, but volume dropping intensity, increasing. And then for most of my accessory work in isolation, I'm doing a double progression method. So maybe we're doing a leg extension in the 12 to 15 rep range. And I want you to pick week one, you're picking a weight that you can do three sets of 12 with, and it's very hard, but by the end of this block, whether it's three, four, five, six weeks long, I want you to be able to do three sets of 15 with that same weight. When you can get three sets of 15, we're increasing low, we're changing the variation, we're doing something with that. Um, and that's just a double progression method. It works really well to accumulate volume over time and keep things cut and dry and simple for people to just progress over time. Um, 
And then last but not least, just to get a little more detailed in the programming, I tend to like to do uh, my compound lifts in like six week blocks. So if we're doing a high bar back squat, I'm going to progress that, you know, rep range or that intensity or whatever I'm focused on that specific compound lift for six weeks, accessories and isolation. I usually like to change every three weeks if I can. Um, technically you could keep going as long as you're making progress. You know, there's no reason, but what I have found, and this is where I think, again, experience and art of coaching with science, people get bored after three weeks. So if I have a leg extension, three sets of 12, 15 for six weeks straight, they're bored at four weeks, you know, and if they're bored, their motivation drops, their intensity drops and the intensity and the effort I want up. So what I tend to do is go, we'll go on a leg extension, but in three weeks, we're doing a unilateral leg extension. Same thing. The body knows tension in a, in a knee extension based quad dominant movement, but it's, it's a unilateral, it's a different exercise. It stimulates their brain. Maybe I do a two, one variation. You know, maybe I go from a lunge to a split squat, to a Bulgarian split squat, to a deficit lunge, to a deficit split squat, to a back, uh, back rack split squat. They're all split squats. I'm just changing variation slightly. Um, and I might be able to overload that unilateral quad dominant squat movement for three to six months without them really understand they're doing the same exact thing over time which is much more advantageous. So um, in a nutshell, like the way I'm kind of auto-regulating and designing programs um, from intensity and exercise variation, that's kind of, kind of my like main thoughts on it, if, if that makes sense. No, again, man, I, I always appreciate the detail, man. You get into it. And I, it, a lot of people like allow us and we try to dig, but now it's just like, okay. I mean, I get what you do, um, but I know I, there's a lot of value in what you said there. And I, I totally holistically agree with, right? We don't really need to make changes to your program, right? It does get fucking boring. And that's the, the thing about lifting, man. You're doing pretty much the same damn thing. And to kind of spice it up, man, do mile reps, do drop sets, do whatever you got to do to kind of spice it up and increase that, that volume and kind of shorten that time. Uh, one thing that I, I guess maybe asking you to is, have you ever kind of given your client wholeheartedly autonomy with selecting, I guess, specific exercise that, hey, horizontal pull, go ahead, choose you. And that, what was your success or failures with that approach? Um, I, I have written a book, an ebook. I don't sell ebooks anymore. We used to sell ebooks on the website. And uh, I mean, to, to not get into a business rant, it's, I basically pulled everything we sell at all except coaching. And it's just to stay true to our message of who we are and what we do best. But um, in that book, it was called Built for You. And I did that exact thing. It was, it was a, a, a program, it, it taught, I mean, there was a section on, and I have a free guide on my website that takes all the stuff. So we used to sell this book. Now I basically made it free and we just took the program out of it. Uh, but it goes over volume, intensity, frequency, exercise selection, like all the basic stuff that you need to know when you're programming. Um, and then it, what I did is I created a, basically like an Excel sheet that you could use as a training program, but instead of a bench press, it would say horizontal compound press and it would have a drop down menu. And it would be like floor press, neutral press, bench press, incline press, decline press. And you could pick and it would stay with that block. And then, you know, in, in the accessory might be a dumbbell military press, but in three weeks you change, pick a new one. So I have done that and I've seen success with it. Um, it's also how we do a lot of our custom training. So I create templates for my coaches to be able to use. So myself and Dr. Brandon Roberts on the staff, we created these templates, three day, four day, five day, six day, upper, lower, full body, push, pull legs, all these different templates. And it's based off of movement patterns. And there's a huge index of, of exercises that my coaching staff has that we can pull from. And when we're creating plans for clients, they have these sheets. They, they're, I mean, they're all certified trainers. So they know what they're doing, but this allows us to streamline it to make sure that we're doing all the right movement patterns and we're changing the variations based on 
how often that person needs because there are different personality types. I know people that actually do better with six to eight week blocks because they like to kind of slowly get in their groove. They don't like change. It gives them anxiety and they like to kind of, you know, you coast and progress and track and get in their routine. Whereas I get bored quick. I want change. I want spice it up like you. Like I want to throw in a myo rep, um, rep set or a drop set or like, fuck it. Let's do, let's run the rack with curls today. Like I just like throwing stuff in cause it's fun, but we've created a, a way for, for the coaches to be able to do that for their clients and customize it that way. Um, so I haven't had a lot of experience with clients doing it. However, uh, what I will say is I know it works. I've done it for myself personally. Um, I know that's like the backbone of how we program because movement patterns are like the foundation and then exercise variations are just like that individualization tool. Right. Um, and then the periodization, the progression, that's all custom. And that's like dependent on the goal, um, and the experience level, of course, but, um, it does work. And there was a study, uh, done on, like, I think they called it like flexible strength training or something, but it was, it was yeah. kind of like from your boy, Chris. Yeah. He was involved in at UT. Yeah. 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 And so, and they kind of showed that same exact thing, right? Like, uh, instead of saying one arm dumbbell row, one group had that the other group had horizontal unilateral row or something like that in the eight to 10 rep range. And the results were the same across the board. Um, I think you would see a difference in people really targeting strength because strength is so neurological. So if we're looking at power lifts, Olympic lifts, stuff like that, which I don't coach any Olympic lifters and we, we coach people who like power lifting, but not a ton of power lifters, more physique and aesthetic driven people. Um, but we know that, you know, strength is a skill. So if you're going to get really strong at the bench press, you got to fucking bench press. You can't just like, oh, I'm gonna do a hammer strength today. Like you got to bench press. Um, but I think for aesthetics, I think you can definitely get away with that. No, I think, yeah, there's a lot of merit, especially at the end, right? Strength is a skill. The, mm -hmm. the specificity, man, like even with the freaking metabolic systems, man, you, you have to train those systems. And it's a shame. A lot of people, I don't understand why they get away from that, uh, but it's literally human biology you you can't fight again like you don't see usain bolt running a marathon because again there's there's two different literally two different frames of training um but i i want to wrap it up man because you've got me fired up and I, this is what i love about you know having this podcast you meet really like-minded people um and a lot of what you've said is kind of mirrors and mimics what chris and i do and i'm sure what a lot of coaches do and that's again what we kind of brought on the beginning of the podcast. It's evidence-based coaching, right? It's not, Hey, I'm the boss is that, Hey, we're leaders. And it's a two-way street. Your information drives this process. And hopefully again, I'm meeting where you're at and continuously elevating you throughout this process. So again, as I said before, you don't need me, but you want to work with me because we've built this culture. You know, I'm going to hold you accountable, but that goes into my question. How do you be this best coach for your clients? Like, how are you who you are today that has driven your success in your coaching company and just your style, man? Because you got a different swagger from a lot of other individuals that we talked to, man. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot, I, man. I love that, too, because you didn't take the traditional approach of, oh, I'm going to go get a bachelor's. Oh, I'm going to go get my second bachelor's. Oh, I'm going to go get this master's. Oh, and now physical therapy. Like, I absolutely respect that you've learned this shit on your own and you've thought through it enough to actually know that what you're doing is right. And to kind of go off a little bit, my bad to keep cutting you off, Cody, a little bit, man, because I'm in my PhD at UT and hopefully this man's not listening to it. But my ex-phys teacher, man, whoo, like he had the audacity when we were going over bioenergetics to say, you know, protein's bad. Like if you have over this amount of protein, you're going to be bad. And I was like, bro, there's literally like literature out there. Like people uh, eating four and a half grams of protein per pound of body weight. Sure, it's not feasible. Sure, nobody wants to do it. 
but we're good. It's not going to cause you kidney damage. And he, he had the, all that. I was like, oh man, like, again, that's that separation from, as you said, practicality and research. You, there's a lot of gray in between this. Well, and I think even with that example, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who have biases inside of research. And I think that's the problem. Um, that's why I value research reviewers a lot because they don't have biases. Um, and we, it's funny because we just had a podcast air today Thursday yesterday and it was our research review. And we talked uh, the, one of the studies we reviewed, well, we studied a meta-analysis because there's so many out there, much of which was Jose Antonio's, but it was on protein overfeeding. Um, and we talked about that and it's, and it's the same thing. It's like, people try to find every little cherry picked rabbit hole they can pick to like tell people protein is bad. And I'm sitting here like, look, I don't give a shit if you don't eat any protein. It doesn't matter to me what you do. I'm just saying you can't say it's bad because, you know, I'm not going to eat three grams per pound, but Jose had people do it for a year plus. <laughs> They're okay. So um, I'm with you, man. I think, uh, and I think, you know, like my, my approach with the whole school thing too was, you know, and this is nothing against getting your, like I said, everybody on my team, like they, 90% of them went to college. Some of them, one of them is finishing uh, her stuff to get, be a dietitian. She's already has her master's in sports nutrition. She's actually down in Florida as well. Um, and I have a lot of friends that are research stuff. I love it, but I've yet to have any client ever ask me what my degrees are ever. I work with people who are literally on television, literally. And they don't ask me a fucking thing. They just say, Hey, I heard you're the shit. So-and-so told me let's work. I'm like, all right, cool. Let's go. You know, now granted, luckily I know what I'm doing. So I give them good results and they tell people. So this wouldn't happen if I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and I value the research, but the point is, is that I think that a lot of times people go further and further and further down the education rabbit hole to show other coaches that they have letters behind their name when that's not going to like build your career. Granted, if you love science, you should go down that path. There's times all, all the time where I'm like, man, I wish I would have because I just value the science so much. And I have to like go through loopholes to get my hands on stuff because I love researching. Luckily, I have friends in, in uh, places that I can get my hands on stuff now. But, um, but I, I just think like the point is, is it doesn't have to hold you back, you know. Um, but uh, as far as your question originally, I, I kind of have two, two answers to it. You know, I have like my philosophy. I think like what makes me uh, like what's goes on in my head, like how I think. And I think it kind of shows up in who I am as an individual and that helps a lot. And then I have like the coaching answer, right. And the coaching answer is sympathy. It's education plus empathy. Um, it, it's emotional intelligence, right? Like, I think it, if we are able to meet people where they're at, show them emotional intelligence, we study psychology and the art of coaching and the art of human connection and con communication all the time. Um, we have somebody on our staff who's a master getting her master's in psychology. And this is why, because it matters a lot. And if I can't understand you and empathize with you and communicate with you and connect with you and build trust with you, I'm not going to be able to get you to use the science. So once I make that connection, now I have to educate you on the science because that's what actually works. That's what's going to get you to where you want to be. And then it's going to create that autonomy we've talked about in this podcast a lot to keep you doing what you've been doing or keep you going with what we've created, essentially sustaining that result. Right. Um, so that's kind of like the formula from a coaching perspective. But honestly, I think from, from a philosophy perspective of what makes me a little bit different. And I think rubs off on a lot of this is I have this like weird obsession with expansion of just personal growth in every single area of my life. Like almost to the point of like, I mean, it's even annoyed my wife at times. Cause she's like, you don't have to get better right now. Like you can, you know, you could just, you're good, but I do like, I, I have to, the, the business has to be bigger. The, the members base has to be bigger. The team has to be smarter. Uh, my body and physique have to be healthier and faster and stronger and bigger. And, and like, 
everything. My relationship has to be better. My, I have to be a better parent. I have to learn more about random stuff. Like I'm always trying to pick and learn and get new skills. And it's this idea of expansion. You know, life is short. And if we're not spending it trying to become the absolute best version of ourselves and the, the biggest version of ourselves, and expand, that's what life's about is expansion in every capacity and dimension possible. Um, I think that we're, I would regret a lot if I was able to, if I died and I looked back at my life and I saw that I wasn't trying my hardest to be better in every area that I would just regret it a lot. And I don't want to do that. So I think that rubs off on people a lot because they feel it. It's my energy. Like I want everybody around me to grow with me, you know? So, um, and I push that on the clients. So I think that's a big piece of it as well as the education empathy. Hey man, hey, setting and setting that tone, like really, like again, like you said, it rubs off because, right, as you've done throughout your life, it seems is you've put yourself in the room, and it's probably fucking uncomfortable as hell. Like it is for me, and the whole reason I went to UT is because all I've done with research was body composition, muscle physiology, and right here we're getting into more of that psychological adherence, self determination theory, and it's like, yo, that's what we fucking need in this this world of bodybuilding physique enhancement because that's that's like you, we've talked about all this time it's that's the art of coaching and it's a, a missing piece and it goes so far like you don't even have to give people sometimes results but just hearing them and we know that a lot of from the pain science literature it's just literally somebody just talking to you about their experience of what is going on they leave feeling so much better and just having somebody on your back and like bro i wish i could dap you up right now i'm like dog my dog <laughs> cody right now again you just just the fire. And as you said, I'm sure your clients feel it. Um, and cause I fucking feel it. And again, I think that's what a lot of people miss within a coach. And if anybody's listening to, if your coach doesn't give you that man, please find a new one. If your coach is not asking you a billion questions, they don't care. You're just a dollar. You're just, you're, you're not, you're just a number. Um, and please, again, go, go into this man's DMS, hit, hit us our, our DMS. You know what it's about. Uh, but Cody, we want to respect your time because I'm sure you got a lot of shit to do. Uh, go ahead and tell our listeners, man, where they can find you and where they get your services, my friend. Yeah, man. Thank you so much, dude. I appreciate it. This is a, a unbelievable conversation. I had a lot of fun. Uh, everybody, you can find me uh, at tailoredcoachingmethod.com. It's where everything is. We have free guides, hundreds and hundreds of podcasts, videos, uh, hundreds of blogs, research reviews, uh, a ton of content there for free. That's obviously where our coaching is too, um, as well as our app, The Tailored Trainer, which is in the app store. Um, and then you can follow me on Instagram at Cody McBroom. I share a bunch there, content every single day. Podcast is The Tailored Life Podcast, which I post on there as well. Um, but I'm always sharing free stuff. I'm always happy to talk, communicate, help out in the DMs and everything like that. Hey, man, again, we respect your time and we appreciate you coming on here and blowing some fucking serious smoke. We'll definitely have to have you back on for a part two or some type of roundtable we've got here cooking up at all the smoke. So um, that's all it is, man. We again, make sure you guys leave us a review. Make sure you guys ask this man any questions. He's got a lot of valuable information. He's got a phenomenal team around him. So he's a value of knowledge. Um, and man, again, thank you so much. And that was all the smoke with my dog, Cody McBroom. We will see you guys later.